0: Um, While we were, while we've been meeting virtually, we've been enjoying having communion together each week, but in the spirit of waiting and anticipation, uh, we will wait to have communion together again until Christmas Eve, Um, we'll have a service on the 24th. So instead, we will use this space to enter more fully into the Advent spirit of Christmas. The season of Advent is the season of waiting. And more waiting is exactly what 2020 needs, or maybe not. But this year, more than any in recent history, we have been drawn together globally to battle and overcome a microscopic villain And for the better part of this year, we've waited for all kinds of things we may have never thought we would have to wait for. We've waited for a vaccine to be created and now to be produced and then to be distributed and then to have our turn. We've waited for numbers to tell us that curves have begun to bend We have waited in lines where we were were required to stay a full six feet behind the next person. We've waited for restrictions to be lifted only to discover that it might still require more waiting. We're waiting to be hugged and to give hugs. We're waiting to eat a meal with our extended families around the kitchen table. We're waiting for friends to just drop by. We're waiting to be together as a faith community under one roof, singing together, laughing out loud, praying with those who hurt, hugging, talking and caring together. And now we enter Advent season that is dedicated to waiting and I want you I want to encourage you to take the time to enter into this with some gusto. There's a, a tension in waiting it's this strange place between wonder and experience that spans far more distance than the actual time we wait While waiting we tend to pace back and forth between wondering and hoping, we take detours that have us stuck in cul-de-sacs of worry and torment, and we follow imaginary paths and trails to what we speculate will happen. Our desire to know what will happen, to understand every nuance of a choice or decision, and to even control what is outside of our control causes an ache and pains that, that waiting does not have to entail. Waiting, if done in the spirit of impatience, consumes our energy and we're left with flagging hearts by the time we arrive at that destination. It seems to me a bit like running to a marathon, Instead of holding our energy and strength for the actual race, we've spent ourselves on an entirely unnecessary and fanciful expedition. I understand that tension is real. I feel it a lot. And it begs me to react. But what we do with that tension is really important to how we end up actually experiencing the experience. Have you ever thought, oh, I thought it would be better than this? Or, oh, this isn't near as bad as I thought. Or anywhere along that imaginary spectrum. Can we embrace the tension in waiting without needing to speculate in any way? If we can, then we have so much more energy left to actually experience the experience to bring that wonder along into the experience, watching things unfold and bloom or even go down. The tension in waiting is fertile soil for worry, fear, and stress, but to be careful, but be careful to not sow those seeds. Instead, hold wonder in your hands like an empty bowl just waiting to be filled. You could stuff it full of loose change and bits and pieces of life, or you can guard it and keep it ready to be filled by the wonder of the actual experience. I wanna encourage each of you this morning to hold that tension of waiting, that you would wait with Mary as she carries the Christ child, that you would wait with the wise men following the star, that you would wait with Simeon and Anna for the Messiah, that you would wait with wonder for what is yet to come within your own life, your own heart, your family, your health, and anything else you might be waiting for. Lord Jesus, have mercy as we wait. I'm gonna pass it over to the Clausen's now, and they are going to lead us through um, the the Advent candle lighting.
1: All right. Good morning, everyone. Thank you, Eden. Uh, we're going to try to do this together. So if you have a, a lighter, if you have a match, if you have a, a candle that takes uh, just a flick of your finger to turn it on. Um, We'll do that. We'll do a little countdown first, but I just thought of the the word light and how important light is in the sense of community, the sense of knowing each other, the sense of seeing each other as we are. Uh, We usually uh, don't meet in the darkness, we meet in the light. So are you ready? Are you ready to light this candle, the first candle? So I'm going to count down from five. Five, four, three, two, one, light it. Mine's not lighting too good. There we go. All right. And Kathy has something to read yet. May you receive the light of divine annunciation in the flames of
2: your best laid plans. Amen. Thank you.
3: So I'm going to read the, for the meditation, I'm going to read chapter one, starting on page 15. And so meditate, this is the annunciation, meditate on this verse from Luke 1:38. Gabriel appeared to her and said, greetings, favored woman, the Lord is with you, I would add, always has been, always will be, confused and disturbed. Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. And now, meditate on these words uh, from our guest this morning, Scott. I presume most of us would invite a divine annunciation. To have some otherworldly being deliver a message from the Almighty sounds like everything we've ever hoped for. How often do we anguish over life decisions and direction? and how incredible would it be to receive a definitive answer from the Lord of Lords. It would be the story you would tell over and over again. How you were sitting in the drive-through line uh, for your iced Americano with cream and two pumps of classic syrup, and suddenly a divine voice spoke clear as day, as if through the very uh, drive-through speaker and laid out the glorious plan for your life. Or one night you had a fantastically vivid dream. And when you awoke, you knew with certainty what next, the next steps were. Or how you tumbled out of a wrecked car on the side of the interstate. Lifted by the arms of a stranger who appeared out of nowhere. Who told you uh, it was time to do that thing you've been afraid of and have been putting off for years. You turn to look at the oncoming fire trucks and when you turn back to the stranger, he was gone. Oh, it was an angel.
1: What?
3: Um, it would be the thing that people uh, ask you to tell every at every dinner party. Uh, it would be awesome to have this kind of story in your life. But if I'm honest, I'm actually afraid of the revelation. All great stories come at a cost and the cost of revelation is that it's going to ask something of us. In any divine annunciation, you receive revelation as a gift. Yet at the same time, you receive notice that all that you had planned is ending. It's all over. Everything will change. Most of all, you. And maybe uh, that is a welcome change. Maybe you are reading this thinking, God, I could use a change, and maybe you're ready for such a transformation. But the rub of revelation is that it's a transformation you're not in charge of. We all have areas in which we would love transformation. For example, me, a never-ending daddy tummy, a proclivity to melancholy, an inability to enjoy the last few Star Wars films. (laughs) Oops, I do love the Mandalorian. (laughs) Maybe for you, it's your relationship with your in-laws, your finances, your dead-end job with its annoying micromanaging boss, or your unceasing anxiety. But it seems that revelation doesn't transform the places you wanna transform. It transforms all the things you dreamed and planned for your best case scenario. It's not so hard to see that Mary's transformation could look a lot like ours. How your life would be, whom you'd marry, what your wedding would be like, your first kid's name, how people would think about you and your family and the community and where you live, how your kids' lives would turn out, your best laid plans, Revelation is a hard gift to receive. You must give up everything else to receive it, like finding a treasure in a field and selling everything you have so you can get the treasure. But then again, she who is willing to accept the cost of revelation finds herself in the deepest of stories. Stories that are so mysterious, divine, and human that we still tell them today. May you receive the light of divine annunciation in the flames of your best laid plans.
2: Thank you, Dean. Um, And thank you, Scott, for writing those beautiful words. I'm here to just introduce him briefly. I wanna say this, uh, that, that Scott Erickson is a modern iconographer um, and this is important, and here's why. Uh, very early in, well, how early? About halfway back to our time of Christ, uh, some Christians got pretty nervous about images. And they were worried that creating images, painting images, carving images was, was idolatry because, of, you know, the Ten Commandments says we're not supposed to, to do that. And here's a strange thing that they went about destroying images aggressively. And when you begin to destroy images, sacred images in the name of Jesus, it's not long before you start destroying people who are his image. Mm. And in what's called the hundred years of blood, Mm. um, Christians killed more Christians over this than all the Roman emperors put together and as a result uh the church convened at what's called the seventh ecumenical council it's the last great council before the church split into east and west and they declared that images are important because first of all jesus christ is the image of the invisible god and second because they proclaim a way of seeing through to the other world where we affirm the resurrection and i've uh, we went through this again in Protestantism. The Puritan movement was about purifying the land of UK of images. And what did they do? They committed a genocide. You can't destroy images without ultimately assaulting the image of God and her brothers and sisters. And, and um, in the great deconstruction that we've been in, for many, it's been another, those who destroy images are called iconoclasts. The great deconstruction be, can be quite iconoclastic, and in the middle of that, Scott Erickson shows up with his images, and I'm just so grateful. Um, they allow us to see through to the other side, or maybe to say there isn't another side. There's an open window, and and I'm I'm just so I'm just so in love with his style of it that, you know, I'm I'm pretty sure I'm going to get Eden a tattoo for her Christmas <laughs> present um, you know, if you follow. Scott the painter on Instagram you're going to see a lot of others who had the same idea so um, we welcome you Scott Uh, I just we welcome your gifts we welcome what you've done for the body of Christ we welcome we welcome the way you open our eyes and we're looking forward to how that might look again this morning thank you
4: great that's a thank you Brad that's a great introduction and Uh, that's some good info for, uh, a future talk. Thanks for, (laughs) thanks for some content. Um, greetings from, uh, I'm in Austin, Texas, and it is cool today, which is nice. I know, uh, it's a sunny day where you're at. It's sunny day here. We're all in the sunshine. Hopefully. Uh, it's great to be with you. Uh, thank you for that wonderful reading of, uh, it's, it's fantastic to, Look, I make a lot of things in a room by myself. And so anytime I see artwork up on walls or books in people's hands, it it, uh, it helps validate the work in a room by myself. So that's great. Um, I wanna start just by uh, talking about one of the weirdest Christmas days uh, that I had. Um, uh, Christmas day is a typical day where a lot of things are shut down. Um, and that's important in this scenario. My When my wife and I were married, uh, we lived in Seattle, Washington for a long time and her family lives in Portland. And so uh, we didn't have any kids. Cause when you have kids, then you can tell your in-laws you like to come to us. But when you don't, uh, then you you know, we'd split our times between Portland or Seattle. So often what we do is we do Christmas Eve one place and then Christmas morning, we would drive the three hours to Portland or Seattle and spend the day with that family. and one of these mornings, uh, we, uh, our car broke down like halfway through uh, on the way to the trip and uh, we pulled over. My wife had this uh, Subaru Outback that was a bit of a lemon, uh, always a head gasket problem and it broke down. And we uh, found ourselves uh, just stranded in the middle of nowhere. And we called a few tow truck places. Most of them were closed. We found one, this guy was like, I'm at, I'm our kid, my kids have opened presents. I'm having Christmas d- lunch, but I'll come and get you. And this guy drove. I think he drove, you know, 45 minutes to get us. And he drove us like an hour and a half down to Portland and dropped us off. And then he drove back. And we left him as big as a tip as we could. We were pretty thrifty back then. <laughs> and uh, we spent a lot of Christmas Day uh, in a car, outside of a car, and in a tow truck with a stranger. Um, but we were so grateful. Uh, in that moment that somebody was able to come and help us in that really like vulnerable moment. Um, And I think that image of uh, a car um, on a, oh wait, I have some pictures. Sorry, I forget about the screen sharing thing. Here we go. Yeah, wait. (laughs) Hold on as I'm mixing it up here. Okay, yeah, there we go. Uh, Yeah. This is what it kind of looked like. Not exactly that car, oh, that's not what it looked like, but oh, there we go. Uh, It was that one. I think this Christmas, uh, this is a pretty good image of what Christmas is gonna feel like um, because (laughs) we're in the midst of, uh, I don't have to tell you, we're in the midst of a global pandemic and a lot of things are different. A lot of things are hard. and uh i think we're being as we enter into the christmas season we're we're feeling like um we're not going to be able to accomplish christmas because there's this brand of christmas uh and that might sound odd uh but it is there's a brand of christmas that is created over the decades and centuries of tradition, uh, the creation of art and music, and then retail and consumerism got involved. And so there's this juggernaut every Christmas season that comes to us and it dusts all of Western society. And it says, uh, here's how to accomplish Christmas. And it asks us to accomplish Christmas in a few ways. One is, um, it says, hey, I want you to have, um, this is not quite working. I want you, you can accomplish Christmas by getting the right gift for somebody, right? You're supposed to like get, you know, there's people that you love, you have friends, you're supposed to get that right gift for them and get the right gift, which is to say, be successful in like accomplishing something. You wanna be successful in like, there's a mystery, there's an opening, get the right thing, give it to the right person, love will happen. So be successful in that. The second way it tells us is like, we want you to get the right setting. Christmas, uh, that is, uh, the, this brand of Christmas has been influenced by mostly North American and uh, Northern European countries who are, are in a colder climate. Uh, but this brand, this, is, this has said, hey, the right setting is uh, decorations, there's lights, it's cold, it's winter time. I mean, I was talking to this guy in New Zealand and he's like, Christmas in New Zealand happens in the middle of summer. It's like a hundred degrees outside (laughs) and we still, you know, we're all wearing shorts and going to the beach, but we still, how do we celebrate Christmas? We put a tree in the middle of our house. We put icicles, fake icicles, like on our rooftops and stuff. And because this massive brand is going around the world and telling people, this is how you should celebrate Christmas. So get the right setting, get that, the, get that right setting for in which Christmas to happen. And then, then you want to get the right feels. You want to have that Christmas cheer, that excitement, right? That joy. And if you can get that feeling, if you can get that feeling, then you'll have a successful Christmas. Um, I just want to let you know that, uh, that's going to be really hard to accomplish this year. Um, there are a lot of obstacles in our way um, f- from even gathering and getting things and doing all like even gifting and all the normal things we are used to doing to celebrate Advent, Christmas. Um, they're changing this year, and so I would like to offer you the truck, the car, the car on uh, on the tow truck as. As, this, as, a, as an image of what Christmas, this Advent could be. And the car is symbolizes us as usual, the way we usually do things every year. And the tow truck symbolizes uh, our vulnerability, our vulnerability and our vulnerability is gonna take us into this Christmas season. Um, vulnerability, the etymological roots of vulnerability is uh, it, it's, it's actually like a taking off your armor, it's exposing yourself, taking the guard down uh, as you're interacting with somebody, it's, you're making yourself vulnerable, you're making yourself somebody who can be touched and hurt. And that's where vulnerability comes from. And. We, uh, you know, our modern society runs off a lot of things working, needing to work for in order to happen. And I think the metaphor of a car breaking down is a good metaphor, because if you've ever like had your car, <laughs> if ever, your car's broken down, you all of a sudden are awakened. To the amount of miles you travel without even thinking about it, right? Like, if you've ever, like, your car broke it down, you're like, I'm really far from my house. Like, in pioneer time, this is like a two day journey, but I just went to go get some milk or something. You know, I went to Costco to get some more toilet paper, things like that. And, like, we're so used to traveling long distances like and and quickly, like if you've parked in a shopping center and like you're at one end at a store and then you're like, well, there's like another end over there and I could just walk over there. But sometimes you just get in your car and drive over there because you're like, that's a pretty far distance. You know, like people who live in cities like Toronto or New York City laugh at us all the time about like how <laughs> how not willing we are to walk long distances. And like, so we we can experience this vulnerability, like this this moment where, you know, a car breaking down or something where you're like, oh my goodness, I'm very helpless or I'm very vulnerable in the situation. Um, And I think that uh, this Advent vulnerability is the way that we can connect and see Christ coming in our midst because we're really aware of the vulnerabilities we have right now. we, all of us human beings, human beings come into the world through human vulnerability. We come weak and powerless. We come needing the help of other human beings to survive and make it. And and God, um, this holy mystery, uh, this unfathomable thing that we call God, came through the same avenue into our world. Came through human vulnerability and i want to like you know for me a muse of teaching is that we don't tell these old stories because they happened just long ago we tell these stories because they're still happening today and i think our question in this advent is christ came into the midst of all of those people thousands of years ago but is christ still coming into our midst and how is christ coming into our midst and where, and I would say that Christ is coming into our midst in the same way he came the first time, which was through human vulnerability. Uh, there is uh, king or there 's a psalm King David wrote about it, and it 's quoted a lot about birth and and childbearing uh, it 's psalm one thirty nine and you 've heard these words before, for you were created in my inmost being, you knit me together in my mother 's womb." I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, you saw my unformed body. So this body that was being formed and then incarnated, came into the world, came through this vulnerability. I think it's a a mystery that we could sit in as we start, um, advent this sunday is is this idea of of that this holy mystery this god who was unseen becomes seen and and starts the conversation of being seen by saying i'm gonna need you to take care of me for a really long time this god's Starts the conversation by, I'm going to come into your midst. I'm going to be seen, but I'm not going to be able to do anything. (laughs) I'm going to come not being able to do anything. And I need you to take care of me. I mean, what does that say about a God that wants to start the conversation that way? what does it say about a God that wants and is willing to be that vulnerable with us right from the start? I think it says a few things that I, we could meditate on. Um, one is, <laughs> sorry guys, the screen sharing just always messes me up. Here we go. <laughs> uh, one is, is um God comes in peace, that God comes in peace. Um, If you were coming and you wanted to alienate people, meaning you wanted to come and being like, I'm ready to judge you, I'm ready to judge you, and you, and you, and you, I'm gonna judge you, and I'm gonna judge you, and I'm gonna judge you. If you were coming to alienate, you would come uh, in strength you wouldn't come and going
0: i'm just this fragile baby that can't do anything but wait till i get older because then i'm going to judge all of you dirty dirty sinners and i'm going to throw you in fire because i'm so mad right?
4: that's not that's not how you would do it because god didn't come god, god didn't come to alienate god came to participate god came to participate god came God comes in peace. The second thing we can, in this con- as this conversation starting, is we said, God's coming for flourishing. God's here for flourishing. He's participating in life. He's participating in lo- long term. God, through G- like Jesus, is weaving his life into the world. We're talking about Jesus now because his life has been woven into every fabric of our world. God is here for flourishing. He's here to participate. God is here to uh, not alienate, but to participate. God. The next thing we know is that God loves human life. God loves human life. Um, like, you know, if God just had a bunch of things to say, he could have like sent a holy pamphlet or something. But the fact that Jesus... Uh, integrated into human life. What he's saying is he's saying human life is wonderful. Like the best parts of human life is being a human, being in a family, being in friendships, being in relationships. Like there is a wonder and a wonderfulness to human life. And God loves human life. Another thing that uh, this vulnerability says is that, that the stages of incarnation are important. The stages of incarnation are important. Development is important. That we don't just start, start off as fully formed, but we start off small, <laughs> literally, we start off small. We start off as like nothing that becomes something. And then we slowly grow and become seen. We learn, there's, there's stages of, of, of growing and learning and knowing and, and being and strength. And these are all important. These are wonderful things, not to bypass, but to participate in. He honors the the role of growing that happens in our life. Another thing about God being vulnerable is that God risks being seen. This unseen, untouchable God, all of a sudden becomes seen and touchable. And the the risk of being seen is that you are touchable now. You can be loved, you can be rejected, you can be hurt, you can be cared for. And all of us every day when we wake up actually face that same invitation to vulnerability, which is, are you gonna let people see you? Are you gonna let people be able to touch you? Are you gonna yeah. take that risk of love? And, and God says, I'm not bypassing that, I'm doing that same invitation that you have. God's vulnerability, uh, again, I said this, but it lets us know that God is here to participate. God is here to be connected to human life and participate with human life. I mean, Jesus's name means Emmanuel, God with us, and he's with us. We, We talk about God and us, but that with is the connector. It's with, we're connected. You know, we have a lot of conversations in our society about is God real or not? I mean, I used to, I grew up in uh, American Christianity and they love to have these debates, you know, where they bring like a Bible teacher and then they bring an atheist and they'd have like a debate and, you know, and I would only really listen to the Bible teacher. Side. <laughs> Later on in my life, I was like, oh, those atheists have some good points. Um, <laughs> you know, but always the the kind of, the, the thing that's being asked is like, is God real? Is God real? And, and I think that we think that's what our real question is. Is God real? I don't actually know if that's our real question. I actually think our real question in this whole thing is, is God real in all of this? Like this life, your life, my, our lives together. Is God real in this world? Which is to ask, is God good? Does God know what's happening to us? Is God aware of what our lives look like, of what society's like, what's going on in our country, town, house, hearts? Is God real in all of this? We're in the midst of a once in a lifetime pandemic. Uh, and we're very aware of our vulnerabilities right now. We have a lot of vulnerabilities. One of the ones that we're most acutely aware of is the one that we spend a lot of our times ignoring or rejecting, which is uh, that we can die. I mean, leave it to an Enneagram 4 to bring up death, but, you know, I'm an artist. But that's what you get when you welcome me. But, you know, we are we are more aware than maybe we usually are that we're susceptible to something that's invisible that we can't see something that's passed in our invisible breath that could affect us. And we have no real control over it, except for our modern ways of medication and and medicine and incubator, you know, respiratory help that could keep us alive, but we're really susceptible to our mortality. And that is, we're being aware of that every single day, which maybe you know, in the past, before this, we would We would hear of somebody's passing or uh we would maybe visit a funeral a few times a year or once a year depending on the stage of your life um but it wasn't something we were reminded of daily and that daily reminder is uncomfortable (laughs) like you i know i'm i know i'm an artist and i think about death and stuff but like it's still uncomfortable it's really depressing i actually uh if i'm honest And I try to write a book about it is, uh, I woke up this morning and I, if I didn't have this or children, I don't know if I would have got out of bed, you know, I guess it's wearing, it's grating. Um, what I see actually, uh, in that vulnerability is that when I look in the story of Jesus, I see, uh, I see a God who's very aware of what's going on right now. Uh, I'm a Christian because of the resurrection. I'm a Christian because I've had um, deeply personal personal experiences with a living incarnate Christ. But I'm also a Christian because of the shortest verse in the Bible, which is Jesus wept. Um, Because if there was a story about a God participating in human life and that story didn't have that person crying at their friend's funeral, like I have, like you have, uh, then I wouldn't believe it. Because it wouldn't, I wouldn't think that it was a true story. It would just be a story about um, God uh, insulating itself from some of the worst things about being human. And that's not what we see in this story. That's not what we see in this reality. That's not what we see in God's participation. We see God very aware of how hard it is to be a human and participating in that along with us. You can't have any real connection without vulnerability. You can't have any real connection if you're guarded and you're protected. It only comes from letting the guard down, from taking the armor off. And God is interested in connection. God is interested in, in, in God has shown us that he's willing to participate by opening himself up, by becoming vulnerable, that he started the conversation with like, I'd like you to take care of me for a long time. (laughs) And so I think our question today, uh, as we begin into Advent is not, is God wanting to connect with us, but are we willing to do that? What are the ways that we could let our armor, take our armor off our guard down? What are the ways that we could allow our vulnerabilities the things we're feeling, the, the weaknesses we have as the way that we connect with God, that we allow Christ to incarnate and join us and be with us in those vulnerabilities. Because I think uh, as we go into Christmas, we have all these expectations, not the expected ones of like get the right gift, get the right setting, get the right feels. But let's get uh, allow ourselves to be on that tow truck of vulnerability and go, <laughs> I'm not going to be able to accomplish what I Set out to do this year, but I'm going to allow myself to be taken on this journey because that's what that's where I'm finding myself. Um, so, one thing I'd like you, uh, to give you uh, as we uh, as we enter into Advent and in a way to practice our vulnerabilities. There's a there's a prayer called the Welcoming Prayer. It was developed by Mary Morozowski. I butchered that, uh, uh, but she. Uh, she developed this really three-step prayer. It's, it's really simple. When you, when you come to this place or you have this experience where you're very overwhelmed or you have like a very emotional um, experience or find yourself in an emotional situation, she just says, um, sit with those emotions. Don't ignore them. Don't medicate them. Don't turn something on right away, but sit with those feelings, those thoughts and sensations and commentaries that are in your body. Just sit with it. And then welcome God into those feelings, emotions, and just, just say welcome. That's all you have to say. It's like as you get in touch with that feeling and then just say welcome and, uh, and allow God to enter into those. And she says, so it's like focus on the feelings, welcome, and then let go. And, uh, and really the let go is I let go of the desire to change this feeling. Like, so don't try to like, I got to change this feeling, but just let God meet you in that and sit with that and then, uh, and allow God to participate in these vulnerabilities. Yeah, um, yeah. so uh, those are my invitations to you uh, that the very vulnerabilities you're in right now are the actual places that Christ wants to incarnate in our lives this year and, and always actually. Um, he participated through human vulnerability and he's right there still in the midst of our human vulnerability. And so uh, may you not need to get anything else this Christmas <laughs> except for the vulnerabilities you only have, you already have uh, to connect with the living God who loves you and knows you and is very aware of what's going on in your life. In the name of the father, son, and Holy spirit, may you be blessed. Amen.
0: Thanks Scott. Yep. That's really good. And it's a, it's a really great way to enter into uh, this coming season, um, especially this year and, um, and especially because we probably all feel a little more vulnerable than we do in normal times.